Welcome to the Upper Cheat Sheet. I'm St. John Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. And this week, we're talking about Rodgers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma, Eric, yeah. which debuted, I think, in 1943. Exactly. Maybe we should be calling this week's uh, cheat sheet the musical theater cheat sheet. What we is could, the relationship but... between Oklahoma and the operatic tradition? Well, here's the thing. People often ask, okay... American opera, you know, we've been doing opera all these years. Where's our Mozart? Where's our Puccini? Where's our Verdi? Well, folks, here they are. It's Rodgers and Hammerstein. It's Jerome Kern. It's George Gershwin. Those are the folks that are, those, those are the great American composers, you know, of the 20th century. They were working not fully in the operatic idiom, but this is musical theater uh, that comes from the operatic tradition. And in fact, when we do them today, if an opera company takes them on, these works really benefit from the resources of an opera company because the vocal parts, for instance, uh, really do well with, with classically trained voices. They do much better, than, certainly, than they do if you have a, you know, a Broadway belt trying to handle these, these vocal lines, which doesn't work so well, unfortunately. And, you know, the opera company has, has resources of chorus and, and a sizable orchestra as well to really do these works justice. So it works really well that way. And, you know, frankly, the, the, the complexity of, of the score of somebody like a Richard Rodgers, they hold their place deservedly alongside Mozart, Verdi, Wagner, all of these folks. These, these are really serious music theater works. And in fact, this is an important work in the development of the book musical, you know, before... Jerome Kern's Showboat was the very first. Right, that was the, the, the really one that started to blaze the trail in many respects. Yeah. Showboat from 1927. Right. Before that, you simply had reviews like the Ziegfeld Follies, or you, know, you, you would have what today we might refer to as a jukebox musical, which is to say a threadbare plot just existing only to pull together a bunch of different uh, musical numbers. Plot not really important at all. Starting with Showboat... Plot is very important. These are works that are doing what opera aspires to do, which is to wed drama and music in a, into a seamless whole. And I think we forget that in Mozart's day and in Verdi's day, Puccini's day, etc., what we call opera was their musical theater. Exactly. And in, in Mozart's case, you had uh, what they called in, in those days Singspiel, which was a music play, which is to say... Like the magic flute. Yeah, like the magic flute and like uh, Abduction from the Seraglio. It was not through composed. You had musical numbers and then you stopped for some dialogue and then you had another musical number and you stopped for some dialogue. And, you know, that's what we have in American musical theater as well. And similarly in uh, French opéra comique, Carmen was not written through composed. Uh, and as Giraud wrote those recitatives later that they've imposed upon Carmen, but oftentimes, even today, you'll still hear it with uh, the dialogue. It was not through composed. Oklahoma won a special Pulitzer Prize in 1944 for the music. This was the first collaboration between Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein II, the right. first time that they had collaborated on a piece. And I think, going back to what you've been talking about, part of the, the quality of Oklahoma comes from the fact that they worked in very complementary ways. Hammerstein 
liked to compose a lyric before there was any music. Rogers liked to compose music to a lyric that he already had. Which and was, that was not the norm, was And it? that was not the norm, because, in fact, when Rogers was writing with Lorenz Hart, mm-hmm. what Lorenz Hart wanted was for Rogers to give him the music and he'd write words to the music. Right. With Oscar Hammerstein, what you get is more of an emphasis on what you're talking about, the story, the book musical, the dramatic arc of the piece, etc. Right. And the result is one of the great composer quote, librettist, end quote, duos in the tradition of Mozart and Da Ponte and Richard Strauss and Hugo von Hofmannsthal and Verdi and Boito, here we have Rodgers and Hammerstein, who would go on to compose uh, Carousel, I think was the next one in State Fair, but then they went on to do South Pacific and uh, King and I, Sound of Music. I mean, you know, one masterwork after another. Oklahoma is based on a 1931 play by Lynn Riggs called Green Grow the Lilacs, Uh which is set in 1906 in Oklahoma Territory. This is before Oklahoma was a state in the Union. Right. And it tells the story of this farming community, Claremore, I believe. And in the course of this musical, we'll see the contrast between the folks that are uh, starting to make their living as farmers and the folks that are still... The Cowboys. The Cowboys and the Farmers. Yeah, the Cowboys. We have a whole big musical number in Act 2 about that. It's like the Sharks and the Jets. Exactly. (laughs) So let's talk about about what happens in Oklahoma. It was not originally called Oklahoma. It was originally called Away We Go. But then after the tryouts, Rodgers and Hammerstein added another number, Oklahoma. And that, they realized, was a much better title for the piece. That's Oklahoma Exclamation point. Right. (laughs) So here we are, 1906. We're in the Oklahoma Territory, and we have this rural community. And who do we meet? Well, we meet Curly uh, when the curtain rises. We're on Curly McLean. Curly McLean. We're on Aunt Aunt Eller's farm, is where we are. Uh, Aunt Eller's niece, uh, Laurie, is someone that Curly is, is very much has set his sights on. And uh, Curly comes in singing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, which one of the most famous numbers to ever come out of American musical theater. What's he singing about when he sings that? He's just loving his life. He loves where he is. He loves the Oklahoma Territory. He loves being up early in the morning, you know, riding out on the Oklahoma Range. He's just loving life. And in fact, that's quite important because... He has a rival for Laurie's affections, and that's Judd, who is a much darker character. He's a scary guy. Right. He's the farmhand that Aunt Eller has hired to help them out on this farm. You're exactly right. He's, he's dark. He's somebody that you get the sense has always been looked down upon his whole life, and he has a real uh, inferiority complex about that. And that uh, is going to... to uh, manifests itself in, in very scary ways in, in the second act of this, of this musical. So Curly wants to take Laurie to the box social that's going to be happening that evening. Right. 
and she doesn't want to go with him. Well, she does and she doesn't. I mean, she <laughs> <laughs> is she just playing hard to get? She's playing hard to get. She's being very coy because she feels that he's just waited too, too long. darn late to, to ask, ask her. her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's going to give him some grief over that. And she says, no, I don't think so. <laughs> and then he says, but I have spent all this money on getting you top-notch transportation to the box social, and we have this wonderful number. Cue music. <laughs> the Surrey with a fringe on top. Yeah, boy, this—I mean, this whole this score just has one hit after another. I mean, there's almost there are very few songs in the course of this musical that aren't well known to the general public, really. When she poo-poo's what he's saying and laughs, he pretends, "Oh, it's I'm just joking," but in fact, he had hired the Surrey with the he fringe has. on top for yeah. her. He sure has. So unfortunately for Laurie, Judd then asks her to go with him to the box social. And so to spite Curly for waiting so long to ask her, she says yes. Even though she's, she's kind of afraid of him and for good reason. Him being Judd, that is, not Curly. <laughs> now, alongside this sort of triangle between Curly, Laurie, and Judd is another triangle. Edo Annie. Yes. And Will and Ali Hakim. Yes. The, Talk the about Persian, those three. <laughs> Ali is the Persian peddler that comes through. He's sort of, he's a bit of comic relief, but he, he has uh, a few things that uh, figure prominently in the plot that are, that are kind of important that move things along. Will has just come back from Kansas City. Yeah. Where he won some money, $50, which in fact is money that Annie's father, Andrew Carnes, said Will would need if he wanted to marry Annie. Yeah. But what does he do with that money? He buys gifts for her. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't have it anymore. Right. <laughs> so, But in the meantime, while he's been gone, she has been spending time with Ali. Yes, yes. <laughs> her first big number is, I'm just a girl who can't say no. <laughs> Which is a great... Great, mm-hmm. great comic number. She's she's just uh, you know a love you love the one you're with kind of gal, and she she's been she's been sparking with with Ali Hakim uh, quite a bit apparently, and uh, Will comes back and is a little nonplussed at that. Laurie goes to Ali because she she has this dilemma: Curly or Judd. Yeah, and he gives her. A potion. We're almost in the elixir of love, aren't we? Donizetti. Yes. yes. And he tells her to take it, and it's it's actually laudanum, isn't it? Yeah, smelling salts with laudanum in it. And and she does, and she falls into this deep sleep, and she has a dream. A dream ballet, (laughs) which in the original production was choreographed by the legendary Agnes DeMille. In which you can still see that choreography in the uh, in the film version, but she she dreams about what life would be like with Curly, and it's you know seeming kind of idyllic, and then the dream takes a dark turn when Judd shows up, and Dream Judd kills Dream Curly, and uh, she you know sort of wakes up feeling very frightened and and uh, disturbed, very disturbed. Uh, and it's at that point that Judd shows up to take her to the social, and that's the end of Act One. And of course, there is a certain amount of what we like to call foreshadowing. Hmm. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> so Act Two, we have this famous box social. 
and the one of my favorite numbers, which is the farmer and the cow man, <laughs> which basically is you know it sets up this this conflict between uh, the folks who want to settle in the Oklahoma Territory and farm and and, uh, and put down some roots. Put down some roots. That's a good way to put it. As opposed to the cowboys who are rather itinerant and and fancy free and. Uh, uh, and, and there's this there's this little tension between the two, and the, and the a fight song, breaks out, which is stopped by Aunt Eller, who pulls a pistol, and shoots it in the air, <laughs> tells him to simmer down. <laughs> there are certain numbers that come back throughout Oklahoma. Yes, one of which is the song "People Will Say We're in Love," which, ah. which Curly and Laurie, when they sing it in Act One. How are they meaning it? They're clearly they they clearly are are drawn to one another. There's that tension. There's that, a tension that, there, right. and they're and they're saying, well, you know, we need to really kind of cool this off because people are starting to talk about us, and we don't want that, you know. So, but of course, know, don't they do, do this want and that. don't do this and don't do this because people will say we're in love. But then we get to Act Two, and uh, you know, the the tension has just reached a boiling point, and and. They reprise this number and say, let people say we're in love. We don't care. We are in love. How does Judd react? Very badly. <laughs> he's, he's getting dangerous. So that brings us to the auction of the picnic baskets. Which is to raise money for a new schoolhouse. Exactly. And, and what's happened is all the eligible young women in the community have put together a, a picnic basket and, you know, decorated it with ribbons and, and made it, you know, as, as resplendent as they possibly can so that the men will then bid, bid on, on basket. them. And, and, yes, and bid highly right. And, right. and generously. And the men who win the basket get to eat with, with the girl that prepared it. Exactly. And so Curly, of course is bidding on Laurie's basket. Right. But so is Judd. Yes. And Judd's been saving up for it. <laughs> <laughs> so Curly winds up having to, on the fly, sell his gear. And he, he actually even sells his horse. I mean, he's a cowboy. He sells his horse just so he can outbid Judd and buy Laurie's picnic basket. He gets it. He does. What about Edo Annie's basket? Well, <laughs> Will Parker starts to bid on it again. I mean, Will Parker, let's just say it, he's not very bright. He is not a Rhodes Scholar candidate, okay? <laughs> <laughs> he really is not. He's not the brightest bulb on the porch. And he's starting to fritter away the 50. He got the $50 back because he sold... Uh, he sold this thing called the Little Wonder that he picked up in Kansas City, and it's it's a little uh, like a kaleidoscope, except it's got little, I think you know, girly pictures in it. Oh, <laughs> but but unbeknownst to him, it's also got a little switchblade. You hit a button and the blade pops out. Judd buys that from him with evil intent. He recoups the money. He recoups the money and then starts to <laughs> fritter it away on the picnic basket again. Ali Hakim, however, who is feeling great pressure from Andrew Carnes, Ado Annie's father, to make good his intentions. You know, if he's if you're gonna if you're gonna be sparking with my daughter, you'd better be re ready to marry her. He <laughs> he winds up outbidding Will on the picnic basket, just 
So that Will will have the money to marry Annie. Right, exactly. So he'll still have his $50 and can marry Annie and take him off of Ali's hands. Well, of course, things come to a head between Curly and Judd. Yeah. He tries to get Curly to look through the little wonder and to, uh, you know, he, he was going to, you know, trigger the, the knife while Curly was looking into it. And Aunt Eller stops him because she realizes what that is. She's, you know, a woman that's been around the block a couple of times and <laughs> recognizes what's going on. So at the, uh, the end of the box social, Curly has decided he needs to put aside his cowboy ways and become a farmer. So that he can marry Laurie. So he can marry and Laurie. And they can have a life together. Ali Hakim has decided he's leaving Oklahoma. He's getting out of there as quick as he can. And he tells Annie that she should marry Will. Yes. Then we cut to three weeks later. And it's Curly and Laurie's wedding day. And, not coincidentally, it's the day that I believe they're, they're voting on statehood in the legislature. For Oklahoma. For Oklahoma. And we get that big number. Oklahoma. Yeah, and oh boy. I mean, if you can if you can keep your your spirits down after hearing that, you know, check your pulse. <laughs> what happens during the celebration? Well, they're getting ready to uh, to go off uh, on their on their honeymoon, and Judd appears and attacks Curly, and attempts to kill him. In the scuffle, Judd falls on his own knife and dies. And because Curly and Laurie are, are just set to go off and start their new life together, everyone agrees that they will, on the spot, <laughs> convene. Andrew Carnes is the, is the local judge. They're going to have him rule right then and there <laughs> on Curly's innocence. And uh, they kind of spur him along because he, he wants, kind of wants to drag it out and, and follow procedure. And they kind of push him forward and say, ah, come on. <laughs> You know he's innocent. So he finally proclaims Curly innocent, and he and Laurie are able to drive away to their happy future in the Surrey with the fringe on top. (laughs) Exactly. So this musical, this musical theater, this opera, whatever we want to call it, what is it that makes it a standout? Uh, the same thing that makes the greatest of operas a standout, which is that perfect union of drama and music. Music in the service of telling a story. Yeah. What is also interesting is how some of those plot elements we have seen in the great 18th and 19th century operas as well. For example, the elixir that Laurie drinks in Act oh, right. One. I mean, some of the same elements. I mean, we have... And which which gives rise to a ballet sequence, which was a mainstay of the Paris opera for, for, you know, centuries. And also, you've got the cowboys and the farmers. You've got the sharks and the jets. Yeah. You've got the, the Capulets, Capulets and, and the, the Montagues. Montagues. I knew you were going there, of course. Yes, exactly. And in fact, that marriage of Curly and Laurie is a coming together of... Those two factions. Exactly. A reconciliation between those two factions to create the great state of Oklahoma. Rogers and Hammerstein's Oklahoma. That's this week's Opera Cheat Sheet. I'm Sinjin Flynn. And I'm Eric Skelly. Thank you for listening.